Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. Acts chapter 20, we're going to move into there. And uh, we're reminded of the scene. I want to just sort of uh, set the stage for you again to remind you of what happened last week in chapter number 19 as the Apostle Paul was wrapping up his two and a half years in the city of Ephesus. If you remember, uh, oh, sorry, not last week, two weeks ago. That's right. Christian preached last week, but two weeks ago. So you may have to think a little bit further back. But we talked about in Ephesus as Paul was wrapping up his ministry there, how there was a riot that happened. There was a great gathering of people uh, there in Ephesus. And it was over the fact that uh, because so many people were coming to Christ, that it literally affected the businesses there. Remember, the temple of Artemis was a temple that many people would come. Of course, uh, travelers would come to see the temple. But at the same time, the people who lived in Ephesus, it was part of their daily routine to go to buy a trinket, to buy a small idol, to buy something that represented the temple or Diana, uh, who was Artemis, of course. And they would go then uh, up to and they would have it blessed. And so there was a lot of uh, connection between the temple and the money that was being made in the city. Well, they saw a, enough of a dip. It wasn't just like a seasonal dip. They saw enough of a drop in cost that, or in, in a profit that they got upset about it. And so Demetrius, if you remember that, if you ever know someone, Demetri, you ever know? I have friends, I know people. Now you know who he represents, the rioter. He was the one uh, who stirred the people up and he got all of the business people up and, and they got together this huge crowd. And, and although what we saw in the chapter is that some of the people didn't even know why they were there. Remember that? They didn't know. We're just yelling and there's all this stuff that's going on. But he got a big enough of a crowd that they went into the theater there in Ephesus, a place that could seat almost 20,000 people uh, or so. And, uh, and so they had this huge thing, this big ride ensued. Paul wanted to go in there, but because his life really would have been in danger at that point, the other disciples sort of held him back, if you remember, and they kept him from going in there. And uh, then where we left off last week is how God used the local uh, mayor of the city, the local administrator. He came in and he told them, listen, you are endangering our status as a Roman colony. You guys better cut it out. And basically this huge gathering, this big riot turned into a big fat nothing burger and really nothing came of it at all except to maybe stir up some excitement. And, uh, and the thing that I want us to just remember about that is how God will often use even unbelievers to accomplish his will. God will use people sometimes that we think there's no way that God could use that person but yet God does use them in a way to accomplish his will, whether they even know it or not. And I think that's really what happened here as this man uh, came in and he sort of diffused the whole situation. And to me, it's such a blessing to know that God is in control of our lives and God is in control of the situations that we are in, even if we don't feel like he is, or even if it's a situation where we feel like we have no control in this situation, God is still the one who is in control. And so for the Apostle Paul, what we see is God intervening on his behalf. And the reason he's intervening intervening on his behalf is because Paul still has work to do. God still has a plan for him and God still has something for him uh, to accomplish. And I'll tell you what, this is just a great thought that sometimes when we're in a situation and we're like, I don't see any way through this. I don't see how God uh, can work through this situation. When he does bring us through, and if you look back at your life, you would recognize, okay, there have been times that God has brought me through or God has brought me to a place that I never expected. When that happens, you need to step back and you need to think to yourself, okay, what then is God trying to do through my life? What is God still trying to accomplish through me? And I believe that's what Paul did. He thought, okay, God has brought me through all of these situations. There must still be work for me to do. There's still... Uh, 
places to be conquered for the gospel's sake. And so that's what the Apostle Paul here is going to do as we come to chapter number 20. Now, chapter number 20 in Acts is famous for one story, and that's the story we're going to talk about today. And it's famous because it's a story about a young man who fell asleep in church. You might remember that story, and that's what it's famous for. It's famous for a young man who fell asleep in church, and because he fell asleep in church, there were dire consequences to him and uh, really, really affected the church there uh, in Troas. And while I am very prepared today to preach a message to you on the dangers of sleeping in church, I want you to know that that story alone is not uh, the main focus of our passage today, okay? It's not the main focus of what we're going to talk about today, although I may, throughout the message, extemporaneously talk about it, okay? Just so you know. That's not the main focus. The main focus in the 12 verses that we're going to cover today is that it opens and that it closes. The passage that we see, it opens and closes with the subject of encouragement, the idea of encouragement. And, and Luke, uh, the doctor who wrote this letter, uses the same word that we see all throughout the New Testament when he's talking about people of faith and the relationships that are built within the local church. Uh, if you remember back to the book of Hebrews, we learn that all believers have the privilege and all believers have the responsibility of encouraging their brothers and sisters in Christ. I love this in verse number 12 where it says, take heed, brethren. That means pay attention. Take it, t- pay, attention uh, pay attention, Christians. Lest there be any of you of an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now that's a, that's a thought right there. Be very careful. Take heed. Pay attention to your spiritual state. And then he says this, but, and I believe these two are, are connected to each other. He says, be aware of dangers to your heart, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. Now, in my study, I was like, why is the word today uh, capitalized? Isn't that kind of strange? So just so you don't get too distracted on it, it was simply a grammatical aspect. It's, uh, it's kind of like if you were saying in those days, if you're saying like Thursday, Friday, you would, you would capitalize it. So anyway, that, I know I spent too much time looking at that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> sometimes you see different things like that. There's actually, I think, seven or eight places in Scripture where it's like that. It capitalized today. Anyway, he says, uh, be, exhort one another daily uh, while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The principle here is that we are to be people of encouragement. I like how it says that we are to exhort. That's the same word that we're going to see in our passage today. And it means to bring alongside. So you're, you're essentially putting your arm around somebody. You're bringing them alongside of you uh, to encourage them, to strengthen them. And as believers, we know that we are to be the first to encourage. Now you might say, well, why would you say that, Pastor? Why would we as Christians be the first ones to encourage somebody? Well, the reason is, is because we understand from Scripture the human heart, don't we? We understand the desperateness of the human heart. We understand that sin never sleeps. We know that we have an adversary, a Satan, who is like a roaring lion who is continually attacking. And we also recognize that the gospel and what we're called to do as Christians is of the utmost importance and that our spiritual and relational, uh, well, having spiritual and relational encouragement is key to stand against the attacks and to stand against the difficulties of life. And we need that. We are to be encouraging people. I recently heard about a man who had passed away, and the reason he passed away, sadly, was because his family did not know his blood type. Now, the story is told that as the family was in the hospital, and they talked about it after he passed away, they said to the the people, and they said to the reporters, they said, you know, in the last few hours of his life, he just kept telling us to be positive, be positive. But it's very hard in a time like this. Oh, good. You got it. I wasn't sure if you're going to get it. (laughs) 
beside the story, yes, we need to be positive, don't we? <laughs> we need to be encouragers. I, that cracked me up. I laughed for hours when I heard about it. Anyway, I thought you'd get it. But anyway, you know what I mean. <laughs> that was a joke, by the way, not a true story that I know of. <laughs> that would be terrible, right? Um, but uh, the point is to be positive. We, we need to be encouragers, lifting one another up. And I believe it's this truth of being an encourager that led the Apostle Paul to take several trips in his missionary journeys with the express purpose of being an encourager in places that he had already been to. And so that's where we pick it up. We pick it up on Paul's trip of encouragement, if you want to call it that, on the ship encouragement. And uh, he gets on there and he begins to travel. We'll begin reading in verse number one. Point number one today is encouragement for Macedonia and Greece. We're just sort of following Paul today as he goes on a journey. Encouragement for Macedonia and Greece. Verse number one, and after the uproar was ceased, that's in Ephesus, we already talked about that. Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. Now, there was a lot. You got to think, Paul being there two and a half years, he didn't just give everybody a hug and pat on the back and see you later. I mean, that would have been, man, for him to leave that place, it would have been, it would have been difficult for the people there. But he departed to go into Macedonia. Look what happened. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, there's the word, the Greek word for encouragement, for exhortation. Later on, we'll see it translated as comfort, but he then came to Greece and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail unto Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. Well, that riot was the end of his two and a half years, and he had moved his teaching, of course, we know from the synagogue to the hall of Tyrannus. Many had been trained for the gospel ministry, but now we see him continue on in his plan that he had mentioned to us in chapter 19, verse 21, which was that he wanted to go to Jerusalem ultimately, but he was going to go to Jerusalem through Macedonia and Greece. Now, his journey had taken him to several places, and I've got a sort of a map. He sort of went on a circle uh, type of a trip. You can see from uh, Ephesus there, he went over into Corinth, uh, and then he, uh, that, of course, is Greece, Macedonia, and he begins to go up uh, through, uh, down, down, uh, and This is sort of an overview of of actually a couple different trips, just so you know, so it's not very specific, but it gives you an idea of the layout of the the travels that he would have gone on uh, from Ephesus at that point. Now, he's trying to get to Jerusalem, which is down over here by the sound booth, Uh, but he's going to get there eventually, but he kind of goes on this sort of roundabout route, and the purpose is is to encourage uh, people that are there. It was also during this time that he wrote several letters. He wrote 2 Corinthians during this time. He also wrote the book of Romans during this time. We believe during those three months in Greece, he set aside to write those letters and those epistles that were so imp- that are so important for us today. If you were to read, just for example, if you were to read the first seven chapters of 2 Corinthians and part of Romans, you begin to piece together the picture of what was happening during this trip uh, that he was on. We won't dig into all of that today. Um, but what we see here is that Paul was going out and his main purpose was to encourage the churches uh, in the faith. As well, what we know from 2 Corinthians is that as he was going to these places, he was using it as an opportunity to collect an offering for the poor in Jerusalem. This was something that came up multiple times in his ministry where he'd be collecting an offering uh, for the church in Jerusalem. Now, you remember the church in Jerusalem? I mean, this was an amazing place, right? The church in Jerusalem was the launching point of the gospel. I mean, Pentecost happened there. So much happened uh, there in Jerusalem, but the... the uh, um, The persecution that came to Jerusalem was much longer, and the persecution was much more severe, I would say, than almost any other place in the known world at that time. 
And so because of that, because of the extended period of persecution, because of the fact that being in Jerusalem and not living like a Jew and resisting the law would, would result in the loss of many friendships, it would have resulted for the church in Jerusalem there being a, uh, basically the people would have fallen into great poverty. They would have struggled. Hey, Leobo, it's okay? It's not okay. She says it's not okay. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, I think you understand what I'm saying here is that in Jerusalem, they would have really struggled with, and there would have been a lot of poverty. And so Paul, as he went to the Gentile churches, he told them about Jerusalem, and he took up this offering for them. And what he was going to do is bring this offering to Jerusalem, and it would have been a place or been a, an offering of great encouragement, an expression of love, of support, and of course, solidarity for those that were suffering there in Jerusalem. I want you to think about it for a minute, what it would have been like to be the church in Jerusalem. How uplifting it would have been when Paul arrived and he says, I brought money from churches all around, all around the known world, and I brought this money in order to be an encouragement to you because we know you're suffering. We know you're struggling. We know you're going through a difficult time. I was thinking about it and think about how encouraging it would be to the church not only to receive that offering to help the poor, but also the fact that they would have heard stories then of people that they had maybe once known in Jerusalem and how now they're out serving. I, I wonder if the church in Jerusalem knew about Aquila and Priscilla. Remember, we knew there were Jews who'd been in Rome, who then had been exiled out of Rome. I wonder if they had perhaps come from Jerusalem originally. And maybe as Paul began to tell them, remember Aquila and Priscilla? Well, they've been traveling with me and God has used them greatly and their home has been a, their home has been a blessing. We've been able to start churches in their homes in two different cities. And, and I mean, imagine the encouragement. And that's what Paul was doing. Not only was he there to encourage believers, but he was also collecting to encourage. Does that make sense? I mean, super encouraging. That's what this guy was. He's doing a lot of encouragement. That's what his focus was and, and how he wanted to be a voice of encouragement to build up the believers in every single place that he went. Yes, he preached to crowds. Yes, he wrote letters, but a great portion of Paul's ministry was face-to-face, one-on-one inspiration to help people to live for Christ, to live in the now, uh, and, and be new in that life found in Christ. I'm sure he would have said things like he wrote in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That ye may prove what that is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Think about it. He wrote those words in Greece while he was there, but yet he was also, I'm sure, saying those words to people. Think about it. The Apostle Paul preaching and encouraging people to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul built up people uh, around him. And, And one of the evidences of that, I believe, is the fact that so many people wanted to be with him, even though he was sick all the time. Even though he went through great trials and was like, hey, yeah, let's climb this mountain. Oh, yeah, there's robbers here, just so you know, remember? <laughs> you know, let's just do this. People still wanted to travel with him. They wanted to be his companions, and very easily he could gather people to be a part of what he was trying to do. And that's what we see in verse number four. As we continue the story, it tells us some of the companions. And they're accompanying him into Asia, Sopatar of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus and uh, Trophimus, these going before tarried for us at Troas. So it gives us his journeying partners, his partners in ministry. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them in Troas in five days where we abode seven days. So these men here are mentioned because I I believe it emphasizes the influence that Paul had in those churches. Many of them were representative of Greek churches that said, I will go and I will travel with you, Paul, all the way to Jerusalem. 
I am sure in part to protect Paul and to protect the offering they were carrying. <laughs> I am sure. I think that would be important, don't you think? I don't think that it was a distrust thing. I just think like, here, Paul, carry this bag of money, you know? Like, I mean, it wasn't like today where it's like, oh, here's a check. Okay, very easily, you know? Back then, I mean, you're, if you had money for an offering, you're carrying money for an offering. I mean, it would have been in heavy, heavy stuff. And so these men would travel with him. And not only, I think, to protect him, but to be an encouragement to Paul. And of course, I'm sure in the back of their minds, they're like, I'm going to learn a lot on this trip. I'm going to learn a lot uh, from the Apostle Paul. And, and, um, and so Paul, remember, had desired to go to Jerusalem by the Passover, but it didn't happen. He had mentioned that earlier. It didn't happen. And so we see here in the passage that they celebrated the Passover feast in Philippi before they got on a ship going south to Troas. And I have a, a map of that where they would have traveled there from Philippi. They would have gone out of Neapolis, gotten on a boat, and gone down to Troas. It's about a five-day journey, as the scripture tells us here. Now, I'm sure that you're thinking, great history lesson, Pastor Paul. I'm so glad that Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, gave us his travel blog, you know, so that we can see and we know uh, what it is that he was trying to do. And it's fun for me. It's fun to learn these kind of things. I can't tell you how much time this week I spent digging around in 2 Corinthians and everything and going around and, you know, getting everything laid out and finding where everything was and trying to fully understand what was happening. But remember, like I said at the beginning, this passage highlights the subject of encouragement, right? It highlights the subjects of encouragement. And I want to point out a couple of thoughts to me that emerge from this passage. So here's the big question. If encouraging other believers is so important for the Christian, how can I be an encouraging Christian, right? If it's so important, how can I be an encouraging Christian? I want to give you three quick thoughts um, underneath our first header tonight, today, this morning. Sorry, there we go. So I want to look at real quickly, how to be an encouraging Christian. You ready? I want you to write these down. I think these will be a help to you. I, is anyone else hot in here? Okay, thank you, Christian. All right, I'm the only one. I'm like sweating up here. I'm sorry. You're like, you're wearing a coat. Exactly. Okay, ready? Let's talk about how to be an encouraging Christian. First of all, be generous with one another. First of all, be generous with one another. I think that's a great uh, thought for us to see here. Be generous with one another. Maximus, why don't you put that title up on the slide there? There we go. Be generous with one another. Paul collected the funds from other churches to be a blessing to the church in Jerusalem. Now, this would have encouraged them, of course, in word, as they would have come and encouraged them just by the words of the Apostle Paul and those that had traveled with him. But it also would have been an encouragement indeed in terms of the financial gift. It would have been a true blessing to them. You say, well, what does that mean for us? Listen, church, we need to be on the lookout for ways that we can be generous and, and kind to other people within our church body. And I would say this, even outside of our church body, we know that we are to help the poor. We know we are to look for ways that we can be a blessing to others. But particularly, if we are to be an encouraging Christian, we need to look for ways and be on, the, and here's what it comes down to, be on the lookout for needs within the local body. Be on the lookout and if possible, be willing to give of your own material possessions to be a blessing. Think about those churches. Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem and there's some real needs there. And people gave. Later on, we read how they gave out of their poverty. They gave generously. They gave abundantly in order to be a blessing and to be a help. And as Christians, that's one way you can be an encouragement is to be generous with one another. This doesn't mean that we are, uh, you know, that, that, that we are... Um, uh, uh, I don't know. The, I don't know the word. I, I don't know how to describe it except this: God will tell you when you when something comes along, you know. And, you, and but but I'll tell you this: God isn't going to speak to you in that way unless you're looking for it. I don't know how else to explain. Does that make sense? You know, you can just go through life completely oblivious 
and not and, and maybe notice things, be like, oh man, I wish they would get things right. Or, you know, oh man, I wish that. But it's a different outlook to be like, hey, I wonder, you know, is there someone I could help? Is there a need in the church? Is there a need in the church? Sometimes we have needs as a church family. Is there, is there a need that I can be a, a help in, in this way? I'm so thankful our church is very generous in that way. And, and you guys are such a blessing in that. But it's something we need to be reminded of always to have that heart. How can I be a help to somebody in need? You know, we have people in our church that do have needs, that are in transitional situations, that are uh, maybe in between a job even. And they, there may be an option. And, and I'll be happy to share that with you if you have a question. Um, but, uh, but the fact is we need to just be looking for it. And then be generous with one another. And by the way, it's not always money, just so you know, okay? We're not a church that's just passing money around. That's not the idea, although that sometimes can be a blessing and can be needed. Uh, but some of it's just your time, being willing to go and help somebody. Hey, like, I heard you're working on this, or I heard you got this. Uh, you know, can I come and help you out? Can I, can I be a blessing to you that way if you have a skill or something that you can help someone out, or you hear someone's moving or whatever? Those kind of way are things that we can do to be generous with one another. Uh, remember what Galatians 6.10 says is, We as therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, but especially unto those that are of the household of faith. As Christians, we are to be known as kind and generous towards one another. Secondly, the way you can be an encouragement is just to spend time with one another. Paul went to great pains to spend time with churches that he had previously established. He could have said, you know what, I spent six months there. We got a church going. I know they're in good hands. I'm all good. But no, he decided to go back and still spend time with them and encourage them. Don't settle for social media interaction alone for your relationships within the church family, okay? Please don't. Please don't settle for that. Be present with people. It is dangerous to live in isolation. A recent study that came out in uh, May of this year, uh, of course, during the pandemic, they were, uh, they were testing and, and did surveys with people who were struggling with anxiety and depression. And they found that in Canada, on average, 28% of Canadians struggle with anxiety on a regular basis. But in the month of May, that number jumped to 61%. 61% of Canadians struggling with anxiety right now. As far as like deep depression and struggles, men, those numbers all went up, went up significantly over what the normal average was. And I believe one of the reasons is, is isolation. And that's what they talked about specifically in the article, isolation. Many church uh, people who regularly go to church and, and rely on the church uh, for social interaction and for encouragement and for, for things one for another are missing out on that. And they're struggling in that. They're struggling in that. And so we need to be willing to go out of our way and encourage. Many Christians are struggling with churches closed. Many churches are not back open. We are made for biblical community, aren't we? We are made for sharing a meal together, getting coffee with one another, and doing these things to support one another. And it's not always easy, and it takes effort, and right now it's not always easy. I've met with a few people for coffee, and we go to a coffee shop, and we're like, I hope I can find a seat, right? You know, Because they're like, five seats in the whole place. Jeanette went for coffee last night. How many seats were in there? Six. There's normally like 40 or something in there. Six seats. And uh, she got one. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And that was the first thing she told me. I got a seat in there. It's amazing. You know, I'm not sitting in the car drinking a coffee. But, you know, you can always get a coffee and go for a walk. The weather's nice. You can find ways if you need to distance from somebody. But find ways to encourage and, and be together. It's worth it for you and it's worth it for them. And you can be an encouragement to somebody just by being willing to spend time with them. But also be self-aware too, all right? Just say so you no. Know. Don't be like, hey, I got all the time in the world. You want to hang out today? And they're like, well, well, I'm there. I'm there tomorrow and just showing up. You know what I mean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe they're busy, all right? Number three, but uh, serve with one another in ministry is another way to encourage each other. Serve with one another. Man, these delegates that went with Paul, they would have brought him and one another great encouragement on this trip. And one way to forge deep 
uplifting relationships is serving together towards a common goal. Man, those of you who went on some of our short-term missions trips since we started the church, you guys know what it's like to serve together and how that brought us together. Man, those guys that went with me to St. Lucia, uh, man, we've got, we've got a bond that unfortunately none of the rest of you have with us. I say unfortunately, you know what I mean? Uh, it's just a unique thing because we experienced the mission field together. We experienced serving together. Uh, we experienced serving in an in a incredible place. Uh, and, and, and it's not just short-term missions trips. It's, it's church events and things that we have. And I know this year has been kind of weird, but uh, we still need to be willing to serve and to help one another in that way. And we grow through serving together. These are ways that we can be an encourager. And it's not because I'm feeling down today that I'm telling you this. The reason I'm telling you this is because the mark of Christians is that we love and care for one another. Think about John chapter 13, verse 34, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Now, the key there is that Jesus says, I want you to love like I have loved you. That means a sacrificial love. That means a love that goes above and beyond the normal bounds of even familial love, family love. It's, it's a sacrificial love. And then he says this, by this, what? Love, sacrificial love. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. The reason we are encouragers is because it is a light. It is a testimony to our lost world. And we have to realize that when we fail to do this, when we fail to be encouragers, when we fail to love in that sacrificial way, what we're revealing is our love for ourselves. <laughs> what we're revealing is our love for our plans. What we are revealing is our love for uh, whatever it is that we want to accomplish. But yet as Christians, the unique marker of us is that we love and we sacrifice for one another. And listen, my prayer is that God would renew that in my own heart, that God would renew that in you. That if perhaps you have been committed more to yourself, more committed to your plans or the things that you want, than you are committed to showing love in this way. I pray that you'd repent of that today and that you'd get that right with the Lord and say, Lord, help me to be that encourager. I want to be the one who lifts other people up. I maybe can't do it. I can't maybe financially help somebody out in a way, but I can sure spend time with somebody. I can sure help them to grow. I can sure uh, serve in the local church in a special way to encourage them. And Paul brought encouragement to the believers in Macedonia and Greece but now we see him move on. I told you we're on a little bit of a journey with him. And so we move on to encouragement in Troas. Encouragement for Troas. Now, we know that he was there for a short time. Took five days on the boat, right? He was there, he says he was there in Troas seven days. He was waiting a ship onto Asos, which was his next place. But while they were there in, um, uh, in Troas, they were able to worship with the truth and uh, with the church there. And this is where Luke records for us this awesome story. I think it's awesome. One of the first messages I think I ever preached, I preached on this passage a long, long, long time ago. Uh, and uh, and uh, I ripped off most of it from uh, someone I heard online, but uh, <laughs> who preached it. He preached a good job. And I kind of, you know, I turned in my own message, but uh, it was a long time ago. And, uh, and uh, I love this passage, though. And it's unforgettable worship service. But what's so interesting is that how unforgettable it is. And even the tragedy that we see here, it ends up with the people being comforted, being encouraged, uh, no less. So we'll begin in verse number seven. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. Well, the scene is set here. The church is gathered together. It's the first day of the week. 
Uh, and they're there to hear from the Apostle Paul. They have the Lord's table together, and then Paul begins to speak to those people. Now, I know that as a Christian, when you read these two verses here, the only thing that you see, and I know this, this is part, this is how Christians operate. The only thing that you saw in that passage that we just read is the line that says, Paul preached till midnight. I know that you guys saw that. That's how Christians are. It's like, whoa, that's the first thing you see. Everything else, you're like, he preached till midnight? Are you kidding me? He preached a long, a long time. Now, I understand the concern here. I know that Winnie is concerned that I'm going to be spend the next time defending long sermons, and you are right. I think they're great, okay? As a pastor, I think they're great, although I have been in some long sermons that I wish I wasn't in. But you understand, this is a special occasion, right? I mean, if we had the Apostle Paul here, I think we'd kind of clear the afternoon, wouldn't we? <laughs> I mean, we'd eat sandwiches in our seats so he could just continue to speak to us. And so this is a special time for them, uh, but we see that uh, the group is together, and they begin to hear, and it's significant to me. There's, this passage is significant. This is the first time that we see uh, Christians meeting on the first day of the week as sort of like, Luke just says it like, this is fact. This is what we do. This is what we do. And so this is the first time that we see that very clearly, because previously to this, in the timeline of uh, the, uh, the, the chronological layout of the early church, is we see them meeting still on the Sabbath day in the synagogues. But as we've seen in the book of Acts, the synagogues become more of a hostile place, right? And I think in our last chapter, we saw where the Apostle Paul then ended up going to the hall of Tyrannus. He ended up renting a second place. And, I've, and one of the reasons for that is because the persecution within the synagogue became such that you got to think, think about it this way. It, it would be like, <laughs> this is, is going to sound weird. Uh, and I know I got to hurry. This is going to sound weird. But imagine if like uh, two or three Mormons started coming to our church every Sunday, Right? And then they started talking, like after the service was done, they would go to the next studio and they'd have a Mormon Bible study, right? <laughs> Imagine how we would feel. And then, and then, you know, but they still kept coming. Well, guess what? As the shepherd of the flock, I would eventually say, you wolves need to leave, <laughs> right? You're not going to be here any longer. You're not welcome here. And that's how it would have been in the synagogue. Imagine in the synagogue, yes. And then, all right, let's talk about Jesus is the Messiah, you know? In the synagogue, we're waiting for the Messiah. We're praying for the Messiah to come. He's already here, right? And, and, and they're having their own little studies. And so eventually there was that divide. And so what they did is they began to meet on the first day of the week. Why was that? Well, that was the day Jesus rose, Right? They would celebrate the resurrection every week. The first day of the week, that's when Jesus rose. They celebrate the resurrection. They would have communion. I believe certainly having the Apostle Paul there, having that time of remembrance with him was special. And then they had this service here, and then they began to preach and teach. And I, I just love, I love the scene that is set for us here. I, you know, it's, it's in the evening. Now, remember, the first day of the week was a work day. So everybody worked all day. And now here we are in the evening after the work day, and they're meeting in the evening. That's what would have been a traditional meeting time for the church. Uh, of course, you know, they didn't have the Saturday, Sunday off. They just had the Sabbath and they would work and they'd come together. And it says that there are many lights. Did you see that in the, in the room? They're on the third floor. Many lights. That, of course, was for light. <laughs> it was dark. But also my understanding of early church history is they would often put lights even up the stairs everywhere that they would be so that people in the neighborhood and would, would see, oh, something's happening. Would be, what's happening at your home today? They would have an outward marker. To, they were literally letting their light shine. Like, this is what, there's something special that's happening here. And then the scene is set for us that they're there in the room and there's many lights and they were gathered together. And I know it would have been a packed place and Paul would have been there. They're on the third floor. All of the lights, of course, it would have been candles. So imagine the smoke, a little bit of smoke in the air. A warm Mediterranean night there in Troas. Everyone packed into the room. Paul preaching. 
For those that were up close, you can imagine they would have seen the scars on the Apostle Paul's face from the beatings and the stoning and the, just the difficulties as he preached the gospel to them. As he told them about believers in other places, as he told them about how the word of God was still going forth despite the persecutions, despite the difficulties. And the crowd was pressed around them, but I want you to see there in the room that just off to your right, my left. That's not in scripture, but I just want you to imagine it, okay? <laughs> your right, my left, there was a, a, a young man, it tells us. And he was sitting in the cutout of the window. Now, Jewish construction had thick walls to help protect against the heat and keep the house cool, plaster and straw and mud. And they would cut out the windows. Of course, they just have a curtain. They have necessarily glass uh, windows at all, of course. But sitting in that sort of cutout alcove, I, can you see it? I can see it. A young man just sort of sitting there in that alcove, leaning back against one side. And if you were to pay attention, like sometimes some of you do in church, you notice when somebody else is starting to fall asleep. <laughs> By the way, I always notice. It's great. <laughs> uh, but I know it's like to see somebody be like, hey, they're sleeping. Well, they see this young man, he begins to fall asleep. Look at verse number nine. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. Now, Paul's preaching until midnight. He'd maybe, maybe this young man had been out working all day. And Paul's preaching. It's hot. It's, it's long. And it, look what it says. And as Paul was long preaching, <laughs> he sunk down with sleep. And he fell from the third loft. He fell from the third floor and was taken up dead. Now, what I see here in this verse is that Dr. Luke is not trying to put any blame on Eutychus here. I don't think, because you know, he's, he, look what he says. He says, it was late, it was midnight, Paul was preaching a long time, uh, and he fell asleep. I think, I think Luke's trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. But what we do see here is that a terrible tragedy took place. Now, I've been in a service before where someone had a medical emergency in the service. It's terrifying. Uh, I have friends who've had people die in their services, not because of what they said, but maybe someone had a heart attack. I know people who literally, literally died. I know I've, I, <laughs> it happened in my dad's church. I won't tell you when, but it did happen. Someone had a heart attack. And anyway, yeah, long story. He ended up dying later on. But I know others who've had people die in their services. So imagine what that would be like. I mean, it'd be terrible. It's a tragedy to ha see a young man fall out and and, and I, I think, of course, Luke probably would have been first to the scene. We know that he's there. He's a doctor, right? And he goes down there and he pronounces him dead. So this is not like, a, oh, he got knocked unconscious. Luke, the doctor, says he was dead. So we take it for what it is. Look what happened in verse 10. And Paul went down and fell on him as if he hadn't been through enough, right? <laughs> now, that means he went and he embraced him. And he said, trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. And when he was therefore come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. That's Paul. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. That's the word encouraged there. Paul, with faith in God's power, goes down and he tells the people, he says, listen, uh, he says to them, don't or trouble not yourself. Now, that's an interesting phrase that he uses. It's the same phrase that they use uh, when they're talking about the writing that was happening in Thessalonica. So, of course, we know in Jewish culture, whenever there was a tragedy like that, something that was called the death whale was something that would have been immediately heard as soon as somebody realized he's dead. Maybe his mother was there. Maybe his grandmother was there. And if you've ever heard uh, Middle Eastern culture's death whale, and, and we even read about it in, G with, uh, in Jesus' day, they would hire mourners. And that's what they would do, and they would wail. In, and in a small village, 
that sound, I'm sure as soon as they discovered he's dead and that wail would have happened and others would have been picking it up and that great sorrow, that expression of sorrow would have been happening. But Paul says, listen, don't trouble yourselves. It's the same word as rioting, as stirring up. He says, don't trouble yourselves. Why could he say that? Because he knew that God was about to do something great. And he says his life is still in him. Now, the calmness of these verses to me don't give the situation justice, right? It's like, it's okay. His life is in him. He, you know, he, he, put, he hugs him. But yet God here was using him like Elijah and like Elisha and like Peter. And, of course, we know Jesus brought others from the dead. But God used him in a great way through the power of Christ to see this young man raised from the dead. And what is so interesting to me is that Paul did not try to capitalize on this situation. He did not try to be like, well, and this is why you never sleep in church. he he didn't use this as an opportunity to scold the people what happened they went back upstairs he said all right let's eat something everybody looks a little sleepy anyway let's eat something and then it says that he began to talk it was more of a conversational tone and he began to talk to the people all the way until the morning for the rest of the the rest of the night till the sun came up he began to talk and then it says that the church was not a little comforted that means a lot (laughs) comforted meaning they were encouraged They're encouraged at the end of this visit here. Now, like our first point, here's the question. What do we learn from this, right? What do we learn? Don't sit in a window while I'm preaching, right? Point number one, no. (laughs) Uh, Is it uh, don't have church till midnight? Is that the lesson that we learn here? Maybe. That might be a good, although it'd be kind of cool to be a part of a midnight service, right? Obviously, though, this is a unique event. It's a unique event. And what we see here from the text and from other portions of Scripture is something that I think is important that we need to point out. And that is, is that the early church always gave much attention and much focus to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Think about it. These people were willing to gather after work in the evening and stay for hours and hours and hours and hours to hear the Word of God preached. To hear it lifted up. I mean, for us today, as soon as I start hitting that 40-minute mark, everybody starts getting a little nervous, you know, and their hands start shaking and their watch keeps coming up like this. And, man, he's getting 40 minutes. I got to get out of here. And we're, we get so concerned. But the early church, they were like, we want to hear the word of God. Uh, Paul, remember, told Timothy, he said, until I come, give attendance to reading and to exhortation and to doctrine. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, Jones, he wrote a book on preaching that, I, that I've read that's just a, a, real, a real blessing. But he said this, he said, is it not clear as you take a bird's eye view of church history that the declining periods and eras in the history of the church have always been uh, those periods when preaching has declined? He says, what is it that always heralds the dawn of a reformation or a revival? It is renewed preaching, he said. It is renewed preaching. And, And that's what we see here is the church putting a focus on preaching. But we do not learn from this text that a speaker should have a 10 hour sermon. That's not what we're learning either. John Newton wisely said, when weariness begins, edification ends. (laughs) And I thought that was a good thought, right? So here's the question I want to ask then. When we come into a preaching service, then how should we be listening to the service? We know we shouldn't be sleeping. We know that. But how do we approach a preaching service? If for the local church, the preaching service is the most important thing, how do we approach it? I want to share with you eight things. Winnie's eyes got big. Eight things. And they're going to be very quick, I promise you. Very quick, I promise you. Man, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Here we go. Number one, when you come to preaching service, you need to listen humbly. Listen humbly. Do whatever you can to stay engaged uh, uh, with the message and realize that you need God's word, right? Don't listen with a grudge. (laughs) Don't listen with a spirit of arrogance. Uh, Don't allow familiarity with the text or even being familiar with me 
uh, or the fact that I can listen to it later online, don't allow that to block your desire to meet Jesus Christ in the scriptures. And we do that humbly. Secondly, you need to listen intently. Do whatever you got to do to stay engaged with the message. Do things like say amen. You know what that means? That means I agree. Now you may say, I never would want to say that in church. You know, maybe you grew up in a place where like it's disrespectful for any noise in church. It's okay to say amen. We see that in scripture that people would answer amen, amen, you know, and they would listen. It's okay. So if that helps you stay engaged, say amen. Maybe some of you just need to practice when to say amen, right? <laughs> I've been in some services and I'm like, and they all died and I'm sure that they spent eternity in hell. Amen. Like that's not a time to say amen. That's not a time to say amen, okay? <laughs> We're not going to amen that. But uh, learn to, uh, uh, if you need to, sit at the front if it helps you. Uh, take notes. Tell Lauren, Lauren, I need to be near the front. Listen attentively. Uh, be like the audience in Nehemiah 8. That's what I was referencing. They said amen. They, they stayed, fight the urge to fall asleep. I was going to say something, right? Fight the urge. Stay mentally checked in. And then three, listen biblically. What does that mean? Use your mind to weigh what is taught against what you already know about the Bible. That's what the Bereans did right? They, they, they heard the word and then they compared it to what they already knew about scripture. So as I'm preaching, as I'm teaching, listen biblically. Uh, fourthly, listen personally. Listen for yourself, not someone else who needs to hear this. <laughs> That's a temptation, right? You're sitting there like, oh man, I hope they're listening to this. I'm going to share this video on Facebook with that person because I know they need this message. Okay, that's not listening personally. That's listening for others. Listen personally. Man, I, I need this. And then fifthly, uh, uh, listen communally, meaning listen for the good of your brothers and sisters. Now that's not, oh yeah, they need to hear this. Here's what it is. It means this, maybe something that you hear in the message is what God will use for you to encourage somebody else later on. Does that make sense? You know, there's been times where, so many times where I've had a conversation with somebody during the week that I've said, you know what, I preached this on Sunday and this was something that really helped me and I was able to encourage them from the message that God had given to me. And that's the same way with us as a church. Listen communally, thinking, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hide this in my heart because God may use this to encourage somebody else. If it's encouraging me, it can encourage someone else. And then also listen practically. As you're listening to a message, think of ways that uh, you can change your behavior based on what you hear. I'm sorry, I skipped over number six, didn't I? Listen missionally. That means don't just be a receiver of the word, be a reproducer of the word. Listen in order to make disciples. Listen in order to tell others. Now, seventh, sorry. Listen uh, practically. Think about ways you should change your behavior based off of what you hear. So as you're listening, think, of, okay, what in my life can change because of this truth that I just heard right now? And then eight, uh, listen gratefully. Be thankful that God speaks to his people, including you. <laughs> Be thankful for that. Remember, as well, I would say, it's important to make church a focus of your life. Make sure that you get adequate rest before you come to church. You know, Saturday night's not the night to kick it till 2 a.m., you know, watching whatever show that it is that you're watching. You need to be rested. You want to be ready to hear. You want to, you want to be alert enough. And thankfully, we don't have windows for you to sit in. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it's, it's easy to check out because you're just so tired mentally, physically, and you're just like, whoo, just get me through this. It, isn't it amazing how we'll sit through an, a two-and-a-half-hour movie and we'll be like, boom, we're locked on. But like a 35-minute message or a 45-minute message, it's like, when is this going to be over? You know, and the time drags on and on. That's how I feel up here. I'm kidding. No. But you know what I mean. And it's like, wow. And I think it's because we're just not intent enough on it. We're not intent enough on it. And, and be willing to prepare for corporate worship as you would prepare for any other important event in your life. Now, in summary, I just want to wrap it up real quickly here. Th this passage exalts the ministry of encouragement. 
Exalts the ministry of spirit-led encouragement. Because that's what we see in Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul encouraging people in personal meetings, through financial offerings, through gospel partnerships, and through weekly worship services. That's what the Apostle Paul was. He was an encourager. And from the beginning, he encouraged the believers in Macedonia and Greece. And at the end, they were all encouraged when he left. Not because Eutychus died while he was there, by the way. But they were encouraged by the message that he brought to them. And we need to be thankful today that we have the comfort of the Holy Spirit to be in our encourager as well. Today, I'm so thankful for that. We have the greatest news in the world to share. Our God raises the dead. Not only does he raise the dead in scripture, but he raised his son, Jesus Christ. And it's because he has risen today that we know we can be saved. And so we need to point other people to Jesus Christ. You know, Eutychus, his name means fortunate, by the way. (laughs) Eutychus, Eutychus is a picture to us of the gospel. Did you know that? See, because Eutychus had done nothing to deserve God's help. He hadn't. Yet because of God's grace, he was restored to life. He had fallen like we are all fallen in our sins. He was dead like we are dead in our sins. But yet he was given life by grace alone through Jesus Christ. What a great picture of the gospel that we preach. And it is that gospel that encourages us. It is that gospel that lifts us up and gives us what we need to continue on for the Lord Jesus Christ in, frankly, discouraging times. That's what we need is the gospel today. And we want to be encouragers, and that's what we can learn from this passage today. So let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed for a moment of reflection. We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.